This is an AMI podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Double Tap for Tuesday, the 6th of December, 2022. And today we're talking all about Elon Musk and Twitter. No, not Twitter. No, I had you there. No, no. Neuralink. That's what we're going to talk about today. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. I could feel people switch, just leaning towards the, the, the switch off button there, Sean. You can just feel them reaching towards us. And not Twitter again. More Twitter news. I'm sorry, who is this? Who are you? Who am I? I'm Stephen. Who, who, who are you? Oh, I'm Sean Priest. But, Excellent. Uh, I'm sorry, I thought you'd left. I, I, I vaguely remember you from long ago. How are you, mate? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, as far as our audio listening uh, listeners are concerned, we were here yesterday and we were sounding great. We were. It was Friday, though, apparently, according to yesterday's episode. Yeah, but, let's, yeah. let's just maybe clarify what happened yesterday. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah um, first off, uh, th- thank you for your kind messages, all one of you. Uh, who sent in the, I think that was just you actually, wondering, you know, what was going on? Did you still have a job? I think was the, the question you asked. Yes. Um, but uh, no, uh, I was unwell yesterday. I was rather poorly. In fact, you know, I had one of those colds. And you know that way you have a cold. And I was saying to my wife yesterday, you have the cold and you just get on with work and you just do what you have to do, right? Uh, but yeah. this year, I don't know, it's like the super cold. I've had the super cold. Yes, I, I believe our wives call it man flu. Yes, that's also what it's known as, that in brackets, man flu. But I call it the super cold uh, because, honestly, I, I was floored to the point you where were. I couldn't even I couldn't even raise my phone to send a tweet to the masses. I said to my wife, I said, I have to speak to the nation because yes. they need to hear. People are waiting. They I know, need they to need be to addressed. hear I've got to say, but ah, no, yeah, sadly, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even muster up the ability to do it. So <laughs> I was lying in my bed yesterday thinking, how do we do this? Do I do this from my bed? And then I, I think we spoke at one point and you said, yeah, you don't sound great. And I said, yeah, I don't feel it either, to be perfectly honest. And we just gave up. Um, yes, you were croaking away and you can still hear it in your voice today. I am still, I am not 100%. That is right. But you know what? You're a the, hero, sir. I am a hero. I know. Hmm. I mean, you hmm. know, I I, I realise <laughs> Marines, nurses, you're all wonderful people. Um, but, you know, when you think about it... <laughs> You know, so yeah. um, we'll leave that there. <laughs> I, think, and, uh, I do we, not mean to laugh today. No laughing sorry. is allowed on this show. You're pretty safe. Uh, we did, we did get that. some nice tweets from Tim and Callum, and Callum suggested that maybe it wasn't illness, but more likely that you had uh, dismantled your studio again. Oh, and yes. To be quite honest, that, that's uh, that's a fair guess. <laughs> it is a good. It's actually not a bad guess. If the show is not on air, it's usually because I have broken something. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no. Funnily enough, this time round, no. I, I think I finally get my office into a place where I'm quite comfortable and quite happy. I have to say, we've been using this clean feed now for a few days, and it's really actually quite good. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I, I am as well. I mean, it sounds great. It's really easy as well, right? Just as soon as it loads up in the web page, I'm just hitting enter. I'm not tabbing anywhere. I don't have to find anything because focus seems to jump on the start button. And bang, we're in it. And unlike last time when we tried it, there's been no dropped connections whatsoever. It's rock solid. I'm liking Clean Feed. So we had a situation. Mark and I recorded the weekend show on it, and we did have a dropout. And oh. I thought, oh, hang on. That's Prove not me great. to be a liar. Thank you. Well, no, but I was thinking, well, that's interesting. But well, let's look at let's look at the issues here. So I went a little bit Agatha Quaro. Or Poirot, or who was it? Agatha Quaro. That's exactly who I'm thinking of. Well done. Agatha Quaro. Man um, flu, everyone. Give yeah, him exactly. Bra- brain fog is, is very much present <laughs> at the moment. Um, but yeah, I uh, I did. I, I thought this through. And he is on a Mac, and I'm using a PC, and you're on a PC. And I think there's something about PCs and clean feed that they just work really well. It just goes really well oh. together. But there's something about the Mac. Because when we tried it before, I was getting yes. dropouts, and I was on the Mac. So yeah. Could be a Mac thing, could be a browser thing. I don't know. I honestly don't know. So, Hang on. but you were shouting at me, saying my internet connection was obviously to break, uh, blame because you know it's put together with sellotape and parcel tape and sticky yes. tape. Um, so you're now saying it was actually your fault. Uh, no. Well done, thank you. Uh, Let's well, move saying, on. No, no, hey. on. no, no. Elon I'm saying, Musk. I'm saying that it's the Mac's fault and clearly someone else's fault. Okay, well done. 
Way to pass the buck. Well done you. You're back. It's never my fault, guys. <laughs> never my. Even when it is my fault, it is not my fault. And that is absolutely demonstrable. Good. Um, yeah, so no, I'm back. But thank you for the kind messages. Thank you for concern. Um, I do laugh at some of the... We got a great email from Camille Savoie last night saying, uh, guys, no episode. Um, yeah, well, on the podcast, you didn't get an episode. You're absolutely right. And I apologize for that. We were going to put up whatever we hodgepodged together yesterday. Um, Hodgepodge? How dare you, sir? That was a beautiful um, package put together by myself. In in uh, critical and extreme circumstances, I have seen serial killers make less mess. <laughs> with <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, that was your episode. No, we weren't going to podcast it yesterday. Sorry. But, uh, it, was, it, was, it was actually an episode we did... Back in October, wasn't it? It was the one about CSUN, which was quite it interesting. Was. So, yes. you know, you can go back on the podcast and listen to it, but we're not, we're not going to put repeats up in our podcast. We're not, yeah. we're not savages over here. Yeah, we're not amateurs. Of course not. But well, we are amateurs, but, you no, know, we're, true. So well, we're not pretend. Well, we can, put, we can put fresh rubbish up every day. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I wanted to talk about Elon Musk. This is actually something I wanted to talk about yesterday. You'd have seen me tweeting about it over the weekend. Uh, I was quite keen to talk about this because at the weekend or just actually was it Friday that the big announcement from Neuralink came in, which was that essentially Neuralink, this is Elon Musk's company, are setting out to uh, begin human trials of its implant device, which will in essence mean a whole range of different things. I mean, it it can allow for all kinds of um, capabilities, but two key things have come out of this. One is restoring vision to people, which of course makes us all go, oh, um, and give me, give me, give me. Yeah. And you know, if you have a physical impairment and the example given is someone with spine cord injury, even someone with a broken spine, that they could potentially bring that person back to be fully functional again, you know, someone who may be, well, may be paralyzed. So, I, I'm really intrigued by this, and I kind of just want to have the conversation around, you know, is this something we actually want to happen? Is this something we're we're excited about? Is this something we should fear? And we're going to get into this a bit today, because I actually captured some of the, the bits of the, the conversations that were happening, because it was a big presentation of like two hours or so, and there's a lot in there. But I thought it'd be quite interesting just to talk through some of the, the, the aspects of it, and also some of the more technical aspects, because, you know, I have to say it is very deep and technical. Um, and I've tried to edit it down in a way that I can understand it. I well don't done. know if I've achieved that, but yeah. you know, I thought it'd be quite interesting just to hear from some of the the people, the, the specialists behind all this, to really get a sense of what we are looking at here, what's being what potentially could be coming forward. Um, you know, because it's, it's a really well, what's your take on all this? I mean, are you are you excited by any of this? I mean, do you think to yourself Oh, great. One day I can not have RP. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I'm sorry. Who who wouldn't feel like that? Someday I could shake off this disability, which makes some aspects of my life, in some cases a lot of aspects of my life, really difficult. So yes, of course. Uh, I have one huge red flag with these sort of news items, and that is how truthfully honest is it? Because for the last... Well, for all of my life, it's been, oh, in 20 years, you know, it'll all be sorted. Don't worry about it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to listen to the, the clips that you've put together here and, and see what I think. But i got to be honest with you. A lot of me thinks, yeah, this is more for uh, maybe investment. This is more for, you know, this is the potential. But mm. how actually close is this? To bandy around... Words like curing, you know, blindness or um, um, well, he's not. He's not said par- curing blindness, and that's interesting, right? So he's okay, not said so- that. Uh, let, let's have a listen to actually what okay. he says. So we'll start with Elon Musk and some of the comments that he made about this at the beginning of the presentation. This is Elon Musk, sort of essentially summarizing where the project has has been, where it's started from, to where it is today. The overarching goal of Neuralink is to create a. Uh, ultimately a whole brain interface. So uh, a, a, a generalized input-output device that in, in, you know, in the long term literally could interface with uh, every aspect of your brain. And in the short term, uh, can, ask, can interface with 
uh, any given section of, of your brain and, and uh, solve a, tra a tremendous number of things that, that uh, cause debilitating issues for people. So the, the, the first two applications we're going to aim for in humans um, are restoring uh, vision. And uh, the, the, I think this is like notable in that even if someone has never had vision ever, like they were born blind, uh, we're, we believe they can, they, they can, we can still restore vision. Um, so uh, because the, the visual part of the, the visual part of the cortex is still, still there. Um, so, uh, yeah, even, even if they've never seen before, uh, we're, we're confident that they, they, could, they could see. Um, and then the, uh, the other application being in the motor cortex, uh, where we would initially enable someone who uh, has no ability, to, almost no ability to operate their their muscles, you know, sort of like a sort of Stephen Hawking type situation, and um, enable them to operate their phone faster than someone who has hand, working hands. Um, but then, even obviously, even better than that would be to bridge the connection. Um, so, uh, take take the out the signals from the motor cortex, and um, let's say somebody's got a broken neck, uh, then uh, bridging those signals to neural link devices located in the spinal cord. So I think we're, we're confident there are, no, there are no physical limitations to enabling full body functionality. I mean, as miraculous as it may sound, uh, we're confident that it is possible to restore full body functionality to someone who has a severed spinal cord. So, yeah. Now, look, however you look at that, that is, well, that, that's quite a bold claim to make exactly. that, that that is even possible. I mean, incredible if true, but, you know, it does feel like we are, I would say, decades off that actually being a reality, right? I mean, this technology is still very new. It's an animal trials at the minute. We're going to talk about that because that's another big issue that's come out of this today in the news. There's a, a big investigation into the treatment of the animals uh, during the course of all of this, which is another big concern, but also on top of that, you know, the fact that if we move to human trials, what that would actually mean, and, and you know, the suggestion here is within six months, which seems pretty, uh, wow. I mean, if uh, this all has to be approved. This, this has to be approved by the government. This will not be something, the US government in this case, it's not something that is going to be just happening. It's not going to be like, you know, suddenly 15 people have been dragged into a room and told, like, a cup of tea and, oh, by the way, can I open up your brain? Um, you know. Well, I mean, you this know. is Elon. I mean, yeah, you exactly. Know. Who knows? It's, yeah. it's interesting, though, right? You picked me up on curing blindness. And the phrase he used here is restoring sight or restoring vision. Now, he didn't say to a degree, you know, I, I thought when he said about, you know, even people who were blind from birth, uh, I thought he was going to say we can restore some sort of, you know, kind of functional vision, but he didn't. He said that we could restore sight. So this is, a, as you said, a very, very bold claim. And I'm just, I don't know. I think Elon is, is, is riding his reputation too much. And I think he's, he's I think he's out of, um, out of credit. I'll be honest with you. I honestly do. And I do mm. cringe. I find it a little bit dangerous even. Because, you, you know, people who, uh, at the start of their sight loss journey, I don't like that phrase, but I'm going to use it, they are looking for anything, any, any sort of sign of hope, rather than deal with, you know, losing your vision, you're, you're looking for a way to, to, to get out of it, to, to find that cure. And I just find these sort of announcements, I'll be honest with you, I find them slightly um, disingenuous. Is it because it's him? Is this the yes. problem that, you know, yes. because I, I think this is interesting, right? So if we had heard this and we did hear this from Neuralink, maybe what, a year ago, perhaps. And we were hearing about it then and it sounded quite incredible then. And there wasn't as much excitement around it, I think, because it was at such an early stage, but also there was that little bit of like, like you hear all these researchers. I mean, how many times have we heard this? I mean, we, we, don't cover a lot of these stories on this show because I often tend to think 
you know, every single day there's another story out that says, this will cure blindness, this will cure blindness, this will get your... your thing. Until yes. I see something that's tangible, that's until actually see, doing the job. Hey, I don't believe it. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, until I actually get... Until someone says, I can see, um, then I'm not going to believe it, or at least I'm going to be, you know, sceptical of it. And I think we're right to be. You know, yes. I mean, but I'm certainly all for science and I'm all for science continuing to do its job. And I think one day there will absolutely be no doubt that they'll find a way to cure all kinds of blindness, not just blindness, but also physical disability. There's talk about at the moment how close they are to curing dementia, um, you know, yes. and, you know, other, you know, diabetes. There's treatments ongoing. One uh, treatment just uh, launched in the US that can, you know, potentially hold off type, is it type one or type two? I think it's type one diabetes. Um, and that's not outside the US yet, but you know the fact is it has been approved for um, regulatory approval in the states. That's right. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. you know we're, we're getting things are moving forward, and, and clearly we're getting to a point where we are go, all going to live to two million years old, which just sounds <laughs> awful to me. Yeah, um, no, but but all those those examples you blind. Give, all, the, <laughs> all those examples you've given there are all through medication, through either you know, gene therapy or, or whatever it may be. None of those are through technology as such. Mm. And I think that, you know, as much as a fan of tech as I am, I think a, a lot of times we want this stuff to be, to be true. We want that, you know, Terminator 2 cyborg uh, thing to happen. And, and it, we are so far away from it. And because it's Elon... I mean, look, the, the Tesla self-driving thing, he was adamant that he'd be able to, you know, with the, the self-driving autopilot uh, features of the Tesla cars would be fully functional. He'd be driving from one end of America to the other by now. And he's not there. And to be honest, he, how far away he is from that is up for debate. And there's other things as well. So, And, uh, and there are other companies who are hot on his heels on that one. Waymo is one of them, uh, you know, that is really doing its best on this and you know i think it's actually way further ahead I, yeah but you know, the thing is i mean that that's that's compared to restoring anything when it comes to brain function that is a drop in the ocean i mean that, that's nothing when it compared to trying to interface with something as complicated as the brain the the second vision you know robotic vision the the, the bionic eye we're talking 20 or 100 or maybe 300 um, wires to the brain and and that's for very basic low resolution black and white you know some sort of high contrast vision I, I, we are so far away from restoring vision and and even you know uh, spinal injuries any nerve damage whatsoever optical nerve or the spinal column tr to, to try and say that technology is at a stage where you can restore sight or restore mobility and motor function i'm sorry i I do find it, I do find it a little disingenuous. Until hey, maybe until they show a demo, show someone on stage, then maybe. But until then, I'm taking this with a huge amount of salt. I think there's two things for me. One is that there are so many different types of eye conditions. Many of us are, are classed as visually impaired or low vision or you know sight impaired or whatever you choose to use as the language to describe it. But we all have very different experiences because some people have got no central vision, some people have no peripheral vision, some people have got no vision at all, some people have got a little bit of vision, only light vision. So there's so many different characteristics to vision loss. So even though we all kind of live under this umbrella, we all experience something very different. Of course. And yeah. how do you even get around that? I mean, he was talking about the visual cortex, you know, that part is still there. But is that the case for everybody? Is that going to be the case in every single... I don't know. I, I, it just—it seems like some people might win out of this, some people might not. I think that's often the way it goes with science. Um, we know that the amount of work in time that goes into glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, uh, age-related macular degeneration, you know, and rightly so. These are huge, huge um, problems for a lot of people because later in life, that is the condition which most people are likely to face. Yes. So, you know, if you can find a way to stave that off, other than just eating leafy veg, as they tell you to do... Um, Mm. That would be good. I have to say, I want to find a way of doing it without eating leafy veg. That would be good for me. Can I do it eating fried chicken and gravy? That's be, my that, favourite dish. I think that would moment. be good as well. <laughs> um, but I also think about some of the other stuff, you know. So, like, okay, so you've got the 
that is one aspect of it. But then, you know, the idea of restoring vision in people who've never had vision. And I, I'm really intrigued to know what our audience think about this because there's a lot of blind people out there, I would imagine, who would say, well, I don't want vision back. Now, I know, I know blind friends of mine who've never had vision who say, yes, we would. But I also know many who've said, no, they don't. And it's a bit of a bone of contention. It's a very individual thing because, you know, for a lot of people who've never had vision, what's the value in getting vision? As you might say vision back, but if you've never had it, you're not getting anything back. You're just getting vision. It's like people who talk about sight loss. A lot of people hate that phrase because they say, well, I've never had any sight, so I've not lost anything. But, you know, people have mm. lost sight, and that's why that, that phrase exists. But it just, there are some people who are going to think to themselves, okay, I'd maybe like to try this and see what living with some vision is. But then I go back to this point that you were saying about, you know, what, what this vision will actually be. If it's going to be like a black and white, essentially pencil drawing of life, um, yeah. is that really going to be a great experience for people? And, you know, it comes, it comes back to my experience and I guess your experience for a long time, which was having low vision. You know, the amount of people in our world who say to us, oh, if you've got low vision, at least you get something. And I will say, yeah, but try living with that something. It's really yeah. not great. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I, I live with, and back to living with endless headaches and this cold just brings it back. I mean, one of the, th the things, actually the most annoying things about having this cold is because it has such an impact on, well, I don't really understand what it's got an impact on, but it has an impact on me enough that it basically means that all I can see is essentially a helicopter, you know, swirling in front of me constantly. Um, yeah. Because that horrible kind of, as if the blades are constantly rotating and it's just, I cannot get rid of that. And to the point that last night, you know, I had to put my sunglasses on and even that didn't work. So I had to go and get the sleep shades and put them on because I thought I just need to kill all light to my and eyes. bucket over your head. Yes. yes. <laughs> Gets to exactly. that stage, you know, you just <laughs> yeah. think, oh, this, I can't live like this. And the pain that comes with it. And that's just, that's not the cold itself, but it is having that knock-on effect. So what I'm getting at is sometimes having low vision isn't better than having no vision, I would argue. And I know that's a very difficult point to make, but it's one I personally believe just because of my own experience. I'm with you on that, except I'm not entirely sure how much of it is to do with other people's perception of ourselves if you have low vision and actually the difficulties of having a little bit of vision. As I, what I'm, I'm trying to say is, since I've lost a lot of sight, I'm obviously, I don't know what the term is and I don't want to upset anyone, I look blind apparently because everyone knows straight away. As soon as I answer that door, I don't have to say, oh, sorry, mate, I, I, I'm, I'm blind, can you do whatever? They just know straight away. I don't know what's changed, maybe my eyes all over the place, but people know. So is that the difference? Is that what makes my life so much easier now I've lost virtually all my vision? Is it because people just know straight away? And that social interaction is a lot easier now than it used to be when I was low vision because people weren't quite sure. Because you can be ignore awkward. people easier, right? It's so much better. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I st it still annoys me, though. I, 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 someone walked past me today and I moved out of their way, you know, as, as you do sometimes, you know. And they... They said nothing. And that still that still annoys me when people just try and walk past you like they're invisible. I mean, granted they are, but you know they're there. You can hear them. And they say, no, that still irks me. Sorry, that's nothing to do with the conversation. It just upset me this morning. No, I get that. I get that. Yes. Um, well, listen, just, just on the point you made earlier, I want to come back to this because I spoke to Dan Ackerman from CNET, a regular voice on many of the big American TV shows. You'll have seen him on CBS this morning and many other big uh, TV shows talking about tech. Uh, we got the chance to speak to him for an upcoming uh, Double Tap TV, um, looking ahead to future trends for uh, 2023 and beyond. And um, while I had him, I, I just wanted to ask him this question about Neuralink and his take on this. And I thought just, you know, to get that broader view on his take on, on all of this and what those promises are and the reality of any of it ever coming to pass. This is what he had to say. The timing stuff, I think like we've heard dates 
from that organization before that have come and gone uh, that they haven't that they haven't met. So I, w- I would take that not super literally. I've watched a lot of the stuff real time, just like you have. It really does seem very exciting. I think a lot of it is clouded by the current uh, shadow, uh, the Elon shadow, and how much you can take literally and how much you can take seriously. Uh, and I think that we are going to have to spend a lot more time trying to get over whatever our predisposition is about that guy and his organizations and the other stuff that he's doing in order to get a real clear picture of it. Uh, You know, that said, the evolution, uh, the steps are just coming faster and faster and where it becomes uh, something that's, you know, usable in humans and commonplace and safe. I mean, that's going to be a big day. I don't know if that's six months. So that's interesting. Um, It goes back to that point we've been making, right, which is that Ultimately, people are looking at this through the Elon Musk lens at the moment, <laughs> and that's going to be the problem for that company. That, that you know, if this was anybody else coming forward with this, we'd be looking at it with a healthy skepticism, but we'd be maybe a little bit more excited by it. But it's the idea that this guy is running a hundred companies, he's got nine kids, you know, he's you know doing all this with no sleep. It would appear, and you know, you're kind of feeling, hang on, you know, how can he make this happen? And of course, there is that story today. Um, about the FDA, I think it's the FDA in America are, are looking into claims about you know the, the treatment of the animals, the welfare of the animals during these mm-hmm. trials, which is always a concern. I think whenever these things are happening, so uh, really, really interesting. But look, we're going to come back and talk more about this, and uh, we're going to get into this in a bit more depth and detail. Uh, and like I say, I've trimmed this down as best I can, uh, but I think it's well worth listening to because it helps us understand how this technology could work and how it could potentially allow us to see again in some cases. So um, we're going to hear from Neuralink researcher Dan Adams coming up. Um, He's quoted as saying, our goal will be to turn the lights on for someone who spent decades living in the dark. Isn't that beautiful? Um, So we're going to... (laughs) It's inspiring stuff. We'll stick around on Double Tap. We're going to get to that next. Can't get enough Double Tap? Subscribe to the podcast and get your fill of Double Tap every day. Visit DoubleTapOnAir.com and follow us now. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It is Double Tap with me, Stephen Scott, Sean Priest. We're back again. I'm starting to feel better. I think the coffee's kicking in, Sean. I, I, there was a lot of energy in that intro. Well done, sir. Yeah, you're sounding good. Keep on. Yeah. You're getting there. More energy, I will say, in the intro than there was in the last 20-odd minutes, unfortunately. Yes. But I am getting there. I am getting I'm feeling all uh, poorly today. Oh, I know. Oh, I feel sad, like I need isn't a it? hot water bottle and just a, an early night. You know, this is the problem, though, because when you're ill, you, you really, it throws you out, doesn't it? It throws you out with your, your I mean, I'm already a bit... I'm having trouble getting to sleep at night at the best of times. Oh, awful. Yes. But I'm, it's even worse now. I know. You, you just sleep the day away, right? And oh, Well, let's not get into that because that's a whole different conversation than yeah. 24 sleeping sickness or whatever it is. We yeah, get. that's exactly that is exactly what it's called. I believe it that is, is the medical term. sleeping sickness. Yes, yeah. it is. Google that and, <laughs> and then good luck. Um, okay, so I want to get into this Neuralink thing a bit more bit deeper because what was interesting was they had a presentation two and a half hours was the whole presentation and if you watched it you might have come away going because i did i I was a bit kind of like what's all this about but what i did was i I took this particular section and i thought i would shrink it down a little bit just to try and kind of give an overview to save you having to listen through the whole thing especially in your case uh to go through the whole thing and try and understand it what well you know i know what you're like and I know you wouldn't listen to it anyway. It's two and a half hours. Even at double speed, you're not going to listen to that. Yeah. And, and fairness, Skip. I was amazed I even listened to it. Uh, because, you know, but I, I, was, I was really interested to know the science behind all this. So that's why uh, I did this. So what you're going to hear, who you're going to hear from, is uh, Dan Adams. Now, he has been uh, working on this for quite a few years. He's a Neuralink researcher. And uh, he's formerly worked in vision neuroscience as well. And he really outlines for us, I guess how this idea of getting vision back, how restoring vision would actually work. Here is uh, what Dan said. It's quite a long piece, but I think it's worth listening. I was inspired to join this company because I saw in our device the potential to restore vision to people rendered blind by eye injury or disease. There are a number of 
particular characteristics of our device that make it uniquely suited to this application. Firstly, as well as being able to record from every channel, we can stimulate neural activity in the brain by injecting current through every channel. This is important because it allows us to bypass the eye and generate a visual image in the brain directly. Secondly, our device can have an enormous number of electrodes. For a visual prosthesis, this is important because the more electrodes you can have, the higher density of an image you can create in the brain. Over the last half century, visual neuroscientists have developed a profound understanding of visual processing in the brain. What's driven most of this research is recording from single cells in the cortex, usually of macaque monkeys. One of the seminal discoveries was that every cell in the visual cortex represents only a tiny part of the visual field. Your perception is made up of a mosaic of tiny receptive fields, each belonging to a single cell in your visual cortex. So if you record from one of these cells, you can find a very tiny region of the screen where a light stimulus will cause modulation of that neuron. Another location in visual cortex will have a location elsewhere on the screen. These regions are called receptive fields. We've inserted our device into the visual cortex of two rhesus monkeys, whose names are Code and Dash. That means we can record activity from their visual cortex generated by their, nor their normal home environment as they roam around. So we can record all the receptive fields from all the electrodes at the same time. And if we take all these receptive fields and accumulate them together, overlap them, and place them on a, on a computer monitor for scale at a typical viewing distance, you begin to get an idea of how much of the visual field we can cover with this preliminary device. Many of the receptive fields are close to the fovea, to, close to the fixation point, but there's also a scattering of fields in the periphery. These are from uh, recording sites deeper in the brain in the calcarine sulcus. So far, I've only talked about recording information from the cortex. But to produce a visual prosthesis, we need to stimulate. So if we stimulated the cells whose receptive fields are in this location, we would produce a perception of a flash in that location that only the monkey can see. How do we know that the monkey sees it? How do we know what it looks like? Well, unfortunately, we can't ask them what they see, but we can train them to tell us something about that phosphine. We start by training the monkey to fixate a central point on the screen, like this white dot, and we start by presenting real visual stimuli on the screen and rewarding the monkey for making eye movements toward those stimuli. So here we flash a white dot, and the monkey makes an eye movement towards it. We then choose another random location and reward the monkey for, for making an eye movement towards it. Once he's got good at this task, we can begin to interleave these real stimuli with electrical stimulation of electrodes and produce a phosphine. What I've shown you is a way to produce a phosphine in the visual field. This is not something new in visual neuroscience. But if you think about that phosphine as a single pixel in a visual image, all we need to do is scale up and produce a great many more pixels and have them covering the visual field. Our goal will be to turn the lights on for someone who's spent decades living in the dark. Now, look, I really trimmed a lot out of that to try and make some kind of sense out of it for everybody. And also for me, that was about a 10-minute presentation we shopped down there. But um, it kind of really just laid into or laid out, I think, the, the way that this technology actually works. I, th I thought that was quite interesting just to learn how it goes. But it did. And, and one thing you wouldn't know from, from that from that particular clip, because there was no point referencing it in, in the clip on an audio show, but they were pointing to pictures and like you were saying earlier, Sean, you know, one of the challenges is how do you, what, what kind of image do you get and, and what, what visually are you going to achieve out of this? And the truth is, you know, they took, I think, a picture of a, of a city street and they said, this is how it would be replicated. And it was like a, a drawing, you know, of a line drawing of that street in black and white was really the result of, of where they are at the moment of how you would see. And... Mm. They're saying that this is where they're at at the moment, but obviously the more 
or these I false fiends that. they can create, whatever it is, they, they can obviously make more and they can make it better. And I imagine in in 50 years' time, this would be quite incredible, but we're, we're not there yet. We're just at a very early stage of this. Yes, absolutely. And look, he's talking there about stimulating, you know, flashes of light, basically, mm. in, in the brain, in the visual cortex. Absolutely. Fantastic. And I'm sure from a medical stroke technical point of view, it's it's astonishing. And as I talked about before with the, was it second vision or second sight that the prosthetic, uh, the, the um, tech eye, the bionic eye, um, which recently went out of business, um, the, the number of, of electrodes that were implanted had a direct, um, um, was directly reflected in the amount of pixels, basically, the resolution of your vision. And it's tiny, tiny. And he talks about a high density there with their uh, preliminary, um, the, the, the initial um, device. So I, I get what they're saying. I, I still think, okay, so now we're talking about being able to generate flashes in someone's visual cortex. How does that relate to actually translating an image from a camera to, to anything that's usable? I'm sorry, as you said, I think we're decades, decades away. Yeah, so do I. But is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to look, you know, it no, doesn't no, have to be next not. year? But when, you're, you, but when you're talking about restoring vision and, and, and uh, being able to repair, fully restore motor function to uh, you know, a, a complete spinal cord, um, whatever, I'm sorry, Yes, these these are people's lives. These are people that are listening to this and looking for this. You, I think we need to be more realistic with what they're saying. And where, where does this six months come from? Well, the, the six months part is the human trials, so that this is when they can start doing you know the tests on humans mm-hmm. because at the moment, as he says, you know they can they can put all this into a monkey, but the monkey can't tell them what it can see. You know, there are tests, as he says, they can do, which will give them an indication of what it sees. But really, you need those human trials to get that verbal feedback to say, yes, I can see this. Yes, I can see that. Um, just looking at some of the feedback, because we, we put out a question on our uh, at Double Tap On Air Twitter account. And um, still going, by the way, uh, Twitter, just in case anyone's wondering about that. Is it? Because you know, I keep reading it. It's dying and it says, that's it. And RIP and it's dead. But I just checked. It's, it's still there. Um, anyway, Gordon Anthony writes... Uh, he makes it sound so simple, Elon. I suspect actual medical experts might disagree. And based on the, uh, uh, I won't say that word because I think it's a swear word. He's made of, let's just say mess. He's made of Twitter. <laughs> Hash, yes. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't want him messing around with my neural connections. And, and this goes back to the point. It's about him. You know, they're kind of looking, everyone's looking past the the tech yes. and they're looking at, Oh, it's Elon Musk that's it's doing a, bit of a whiff of the snake oil salesman about Elon at the moment. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. As okay. I said, I think his credit is, is gone. Anyway. Well, Tim says, I think that it will be uh, like most of the things Elon Musk is involved with, overhyped to increase his net worth. Um, also, yep. KB writes, I would not put my vision or hopes of restored vision in Musterloin's hands if he paid me what he paid for Twitter. Who? <laughs> Muster loins. Muster loins. <laughs> okay. Is that an autocorrect? I don't know. Um, I don't, don't know what it is, but I don't like it. I, I, mean, I love when blind people write messages because sometimes it just comes out as something totally different and it's brilliant. But that may be intentional. I don't know. There's maybe yes. a joke in there. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, yeah, anyway. Uh, Lynn Nicholson <laughs> writes, I was going to say, it's like those fake names, you know, when people write into oh, yes. to radio shows and they always give yes. the fake names, you know. We'll leave that Mr. There. Mr. Janus, you know. Yes. Um, so Lynn Nicholson uh, writes, Oh no, Elon Musk, tapping into my brain won't cure my blindness as it's my retinas that are damaged. It's why I wouldn't have an operation for the cataracts that are just beginning to form. I don't need fixing. Now this <sighs> brings mm. us to another part of this conversation where there are many people out there who will say, nothing wrong with me. I'm I'm blind. I'm okay with it. I've got used to it. This is my life, and I don't want to change that. Now I don't that's know if you fine. and I are on that page. I think you and I may be on a different page. Absolutely on that one. not. I think that's being deliberately obtuse because uh, yeah, absolutely you're fine with where you are, and God bless you for it. And do you know what? It's something that so many of us would love to be in that position. And good luck to you. But to say that you don't need fixing, and let's not. This is a, a disability. This is something, as I said earlier, that affects every single aspect of your life. 
Now, to say that you can cope with that, absolutely fine. But to restore a sense or a function of your body which isn't there, I'm sorry, is it's hugely important. And it's not about fixing someone. It's about giving you that extra ability. It's about removing the disability. There's nothing wrong with that. You see, I think that the conversation around disability has got so um, so muddied in the past couple of years. I, I'm continually bemused by some of the comments I hear and read online. And I know there's a lot of different approaches to it in different parts of the world, but there are people who talk about identity first versus person first language, which is a big part of this conversation. And this was highlighted recently because we had International Day of Persons with Disabilities uh, on Saturday. Or was it Sunday? I can't remember. It was, it was at the weekend anyway. And um, I, I tend, I'll be honest, these kind of days I tend to avoid. I mean, you know, good on them, you know, yeah. whatever. I know I do because I just think this is a way for companies to, you know, stick purple lights everywhere and, you know, somehow that represents their commitment to whatever. And I, I don't really know what that means and nobody really knows anyway. And the end result is we just go back to where we were on the Monday. Um, and I don't really understand. <laughs> where we are on that, right? Well, awareness but, is always a good thing. That's the argument. Well, right? But is it awareness or is it just virtue signaling? I don't know. You know, mm. is it just a case of let's just jump on the bandwagon? You know, I mean, a good example of it is all the, the companies that tweet out, we are for inclusion, we are for this, and then, you know, put all text on the images and they, you know, they don't use the uh, hashtags yes. appropriately. They don't even or speak they, to disabled people. You know, they never involve disabled people. And, you or know, employ. Or employ people. disabled people. You know, so there's a lot of that, right? So I tend to find it a little bit... You know, the way I look at it is we do disability every day, that sort of thing. So, you know, yes, while everyone else is only doing it once a year, we'll do it every day, thanks. But um, but I think there is an interesting conversation around that whole what you see disability as. You know, some people see it as a problem society is putting it on us, and other people see it as a physical or mental or visual condition that is, is you know, directly impacted from it. And I think, you know, there... To me, they don't marry up particularly well, those views, because some people will say, for example, I'm very proud to be disabled, especially I hear it a lot in the blind community. I'm proud to be blind. And then the same people will tell you that the blindness they have is really only, you know, the, the disability they have is only because of society in general. Yeah. So on one hand, disability is the fault of everyone else, but you're proud to be disabled. I, I can't square that. I'd be I'm missing something, but I, I just don't get it. I, I can't. To me, I'm not proud of being disabled. I don't think there's anything to be proud of. I didn't achieve it. It wasn't a prize. I didn't earn it. Um, to me, I, it, it's... <laughs> did you win it in a raffle, did you? <laughs> there's a difference. If you're not ashamed of something, does that mean you're proud of it? I think yeah, I'm not the... ashamed. No, but that, that's a good point. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. And I, But I will say this, and I, and I think that... God, I hate this phrase, sight loss journey. I really do. It actually is the best way to describe it because it is a journey, and it took me a it's long twice we time. We used that phrase today. Sorry, but, but I, yes. I, you know, I remember coming through my early part of my life. I just couldn't face up to it. I would never talk about it with anybody. And I remember the, the moment it changed. A friend of mine had gone into the British version of Big Brother, and he was he was blind, and he had gone into it. And as a result of it, because I worked with him uh, at the radio station we worked at together, I was asked to go on to chat shows and, and talk on newspaper <gasps> articles and stuff about... Did you meet Russell Brand? I, I did. No, who did I meet? I don't know who I met, to be perfectly oh. honest, but I met various people. Uh, but yeah, but, you know, basically they wanted to talk. They were talking to me, Sean. I mean, they were the ones who were, you know, yeah. inspired. Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Um, did you talk to Stephen Scott? <laughs> who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who? Um, even Stephen was like, who? So <laughs> but I remember going on these shows and I remember talking about in a newspaper article that came out roughly around the same time, talking about my own visual impairment. And it was the first time I had ever talked about it, like properly. And I remember friends of mine calling me up. One friend in particular called me up and said, why are you talking like this? That's not you. He's like, you're, you're, you're just blind. having this up for the paper? No, but he, <laughs> but he was like, I know you've got a visual impairment, but you know it doesn't affect you like this. I'm talking ah, about the challenges yeah. now. And he's like, that's all rubbish. You, that's not you. And I said, no, that is me. And, and and I had a very frank, stern conversation with that friend. I said, this is my life. This is this is who I am. I said, 
I just don't talk about it every day. I don't publicize it in that way, but this is my life. This is what it is like. And it's not, you know, a bed of roses. And he yes. was, they were quite Shocked. surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like, I, I had no idea this was your life. I had no idea you felt this way. Well, and, what else are you going to do? Right, they're crying. But I think that, but, but that wasn't just about him. That was about me. Yeah, I yeah, had never spoken about it. I had yeah. never talked about it. So I, I had never, you know, gone out there and, and talked about it or, or explained who I was or explained how I felt about any of this stuff. So, you know, it took me a long time to get to that point. And I can sort of get why people get to the place of uh, pride. I must admit, I struggle with a little bit. Um, being born Catholic, Catholic guilt means pride is, you know, out the window as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, Look, I, I, that's not allowed to be proud of anything. So I'm sure we're going to get, hell. get feed. I'm not touching religion. I'm sure we'll get feedback on this. You know, I I, I don't need fixing because it is a, it's an emotional aspect of of sight loss. It's a very right? individual thing. I mean, some people like, like Lynn saying, you know, I don't need fixing. Yeah. I, if someone I came that. to me tomorrow and said, I can give you your vision back, I'd say I don't care how much it costs. I'll sell the house. Yeah. I'll sell myself. If need yes. be to get it, I won't get much for that. To be fucking more for the house, but you know, I'll do what I need to do but because I would. Those... I would want to get. I would. I would want fixed because I. How... I have a broken part of me. My optic nerve isn't, ex- isn't fully functional, so exactly I need it right. fixed. And how many of these p- people who say I, I don't need fixing? I I speak to a, a friend of mine who lives in in Greece, and he struggles so much because the attitude is totally different to. D- disabled that especially the blind and trying to get your mobility out when there's no sidewalk there's no pavement there's no yeah it's it's so much more difficult and i think you know it, it's just different to your environment and how you're treated as well by you know it is a society thing as well so i i don't know i do have a problem with i don't need fixing i understand it but i don't i think it's a little bit um i don't know well, I think I think Lynn's entitled to that view. No, I get it, and, I, and it's I her take. It. You know, yeah. stop picking on Lynn. I'm not picking on Lynn. So sorry, Lynn. I just, you know, life is so much easier without a disability. That's all I'm going to say. I will say one thing though, just just to wrap and why up do on I feel this. I feel slightly tense about no, saying no, that? No, no, look, it's true. I, I, isn't I it? think you know, if, if look, if you believe that, and that's your take on it. Then you're entitled to look. You're a you're a disabled person. You are entitled to have this view. How dare you? Sorry. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that might just be the perfect example of the problem here, right? Is like sometimes we forget that we are those disabled people. And we just for a long time we didn't want it to be the label on us. For a lot for a lot of people, including me, it was that my family just. You know, I, I always, my mum used to say things like, "Oh, he's, he's totally blind. He's this. Is that?" To, to other people, but to me, it was always well, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, And it was always that there's nothing wrong with you that mm-hmm. stuck. And you almost had to play up to that. You know, you also had to play up to the fact there was nothing wrong with me. And, you know, even in a situation where you were struggling to do something, you would feel you'd have to do it because you didn't want to look blind or be blind in that situation. Um, well, society, family pressures, peer pressure. But there's a lot. I mean, look, it's not one thing. You know, and this is where, you know, I think that people talk about social model and medical models and whatever else of disability. I I think it's a mash of all of it, to be perfectly honest. And it's all dependent on the individual, because there are some people who will say, I saw a tweet the other day from someone who says, look, I'm physically disabled. And frankly, you know, no matter what society does, the chronic pain I have every day is not going to be changed by someone installing a ramp or making, you know, making me feel better. I'm still going to have that chronic pain. So, you know, this is still a disability. And I think that's the bit that we don't want to get away from. It's like we don't want to let the disability off with it, you know. Um, that's that's often my fear is that we kind of get into this. I, I, I don't like the idea of blaming other people for it either. I really don't like the, the kind of, you know, where, well, it's all about, you know, it's everyone else's fault that I'm the way I am. That doesn't really solve anything. Nobody's going to, and nobody's going to know what to do with that. Yeah, but like anything, there's degrees, right? Because sometimes it's right to say, hey, what you're doing here is wrong, right? So sometimes it is other people's, the way they treat you because of a disability, it needs to be brought up and talked about. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's too deep for me. It's very Stephen, interesting. But, you know, it's, it's interesting what this has brought up, though, right? Because this whole Neuralink thing is, you know, is the first time we're seeing, like you said, technology 
coming into this. And look, all science is technology to some degree. It's all you know, te- all born out of tech somewhere. You yeah. know, but this is the first time we've seen this it's idea. Hard, yeah, like an actual piece of tech, like a you know, I think a lot of people thought that Neuralink was going to be like the the iPhone in your brain. And I think that's probably where it will end up because let's be honest, that's the natural next step. I mean, so it's, it's, uh, well, maybe not next step, but certainly the steps that will follow after wearables, you know, after an eye, you know, maybe a contact lens, then maybe an implant. You know, I could sort of see how this is going, that eventually this tech is just going to become part of us. You know, so I, and Elon Musk has said this before, that the, the, the smartphone in our hand is an extension of us at the moment. We're already halfway to being a cyborg. Because this yeah. thing in her hand is, you know, you lose this thing. My wife went to work today. She forgot to take her, her phone with her. And, you know, she, she has two phones. She has a work phone. She has her own phone. And it's a work phone she left behind. And she said, you know, I kind of felt relief that it wasn't my my own phone, she said, because I could, I can almost live without my work phone because, you know, it's a work phone. Who cares, right? But when it comes to <laughs> my own phone, she says, I couldn't survive. I wouldn't know what to do. How am I going to, you know, how am I going to check Amazon? And, you know, how am I going to know if my... You know, cutlers have shown incredibly up. critical, important things we need to do. Yes, yeah. check Amazon. <laughs> it's just it's, it's crazy, but anyway, a very interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to your feedback on this. Uh, I know you lots of you have sent in your feedback. We're going to get to, get to I'm that scared. tomorrow. No, no, I think this is an interesting conversation. I feel it's going to go on for the next few months because this topic does tend to to bring up a lot of emotions, and I, I think rightly so. Yes. Um, but, you know, that's the reality of the world we're in at the minute, right? Which is that, you know, this this tech space that we're in, this is deeply personal to us. This is something that means something to us individually. So, you know, it is going to have more of an impact than it's just, oh, a nice piece of tech, you know, so it's, it's another gimmick. This could have real world life-changing impact. The big question, though, and we're going to develop in, in this conversation a little bit for, uh, further soon because we've got an interview coming up hopefully this weekend uh, we were hoping to do it at the weekend there, but sadly I wasn't feeling so great, so we had to, to put the interview off. But I have got someone who's going to come on and talk about his experience of going through uh, sight-restoring treatment, someone who has had no vision at all, getting vision for the first time. I want to know how he's got on. It's about a year ago it happened. Um, I spoke to him a year ago, and I said I'd follow up with him. So we're going to have that conversation soon on Double Tap, but very, very interesting. In the meantime, though, keep your feedback coming. Feedback at doubletaponair.com, 1-877-803-4567 is our number. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. Sean, uh, have a wonderful day. I'm going back to bed. Good. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.